Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Randy White, and he'll be answering your questions on writing, his books, and life in general. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Randy a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer them, as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form in the right-hand side of our web pages, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing and also the hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and share the knowledge out there. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. doing businesses Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Randy White, and we'll be back in just a moment. The Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive, clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel Spring Creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. Lee's Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dweller's Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lee's Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. That's leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Randy, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Randy's section that says register for our free drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away one of Randy's books, courtesy of Lions Press. And to find out more about Lions Press and the books they publish, go to lionspress.com. That's L-Y-O-N-S press.com. And here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question I ask at the end of the show. The question will be about something that uh, Randy and I talk about during the show. And you must submit your answer along with your name and location in the text box on our homepage. So listen closely. Take notes. Type fast, and maybe you'll win one of Randy's books. Our guest tonight is Randy White. Randy Wayne White is a New York Times best-selling author of 45 novels, four collections of nonfiction, a cookbook, The Ultimate Tarpon Book, and a PBS documentary, Gift of the Game, which won Best of Show uh, at the internationally respected Woods Hole Film Festival. He is also an editor-at-large for Outside Magazine, which was founded by Rolling Stone. White's newest novel, Salt River, is the 26th book in his highly acclaimed series about 
Florida marine biologist Doc Ford. Previous titles have enjoyed lengthy stays on bestseller lists such as the New York Times, USA Today, the Washington Post, and the LA Times. More than one million copies of the Doc Ford novels are in print. White is also partners in four popular Florida restaurants named after his protagonist, Doc Ford's Rum Bar and Grills. His series of novels about fishing guide Hannah Smith also received critical acclaim. Haunted the Third in the Hannah series and Deceived were both awarded the Florida Gold Medal for General Fiction. The only time in history when an author of consecutive books in a series won this prestigious award. Randy was a light tackle fishing guide at Tarpon Bay Marina in Sandville Island for 13 years and did more than 3,000 charters and draws heavily on those experiences for his novels about marine biologist Doc Ford and his quirky pals at Dinkins Bay. In 2003, he became one of the founding partners at the Doc Ford's Rum Bar and Grill with restaurants on Sanibel, Fort Myers Beach, South Seas Resort, Captiva Island, and the new St. Pete Pier in St. Petersburg. Randy, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Roger, Roger, you're amazing. Did you memorize all that? My golly. I know myself too well to be impressed, but my golly, that was good. <laughs> I'm sure every morning you look in the mirror and you go, oh, my God, that man is beautiful, huh? <laughs> Except for the last but I do go say, oh, my goodness gracious, what the world happened. But, yeah. Great to be here. <laughs> in general, <laughs> in general, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we've got we got lots of things to talk about tonight, and the we're kind of going to mix the fishing because you involve that, mix the writing in there, talk about your books, yeah. talk about life. So, you got any stories to tell? Have at it tonight, Randy, because we love to hear them. But let's, well, first let's of all, start greetings it. from Sanibel Island, West Coast yeah. of Florida, Southwest Coast, where the moon is waxing, the new moon. The the wind has laid down that's what we used to say winds laid down and i could walk out to the dock right now i reckon see snook and probably some tarpon ladyfish redfish and uh, beautiful night here on sandoval welcome aboard yeah yeah that's a, a beautiful place in the world i've been there a couple of times and need to get back down there i've got some friends in fort myers and clearwater so i need to get back down there one of these days as well yeah, so let's talk about your guiding in Florida. How did you get started doing that? Because that's not where you started life as pursuing, right? Not at all, no. I always wanted to be a writer. Grew up in rural areas, small farms in Ohio and North Carolina, and I was not a good student. I know why, because I didn't pay attention. I just didn't catch on very quickly. But at an early age, I fell in love with books. I thought if I could write a book, I might be able to become part of the magic I found in books. So I always wanted to be a writer. In the early 70s, 1972, I moved to Fort Myers, Sandoval Island, Florida. And in 1974, I got my open ocean, unlimited captain's license. I didn't know much about fishing, although I'd done quite a bit of fishing in North Carolina. And I became a fishing guide at Tarpon Bay on Sandoval. That was 1974. I'm old, Roger. I'm old. And, uh, and to become a competent fishing guide, in my experience, it takes about three years of being on the water at least 300 days a year and learning your craft. And uh, I worked very hard at it. And I got it for, well, until about 1992, did more than 3,000 charters. And about midway in, I started to specialize in fly fishing, not because I knew much about fly fishing, but my clients did. I learned far more from my clients than they would learn from me. But, yeah, 
or in 3,000 charters. Yeah, and uh, so didn't you have some connection with baseball at some point in there as well? Played a lot of baseball, yep. I'm starting catcher on my team at Davenport Central, Iowa, at Davenport Central School of Champions, by the way, Roger. I'm still friends with my baseball coach. I was always a mediocre baseball player, but I played uh, men's senior league, Roy Hobbs. I, I was a catcher and um, loved baseball. Wonderful comedy. Yeah, Was that something you looked at as a career at some point, or was that just more, more fun for you? Well, had I had any talent as a baseball player, Roger, some team would have made, made me an offer. They never did. I did have <laughs> okay. some legitimate tryouts. had some legitimate tryouts. And one of the, the best tryouts I had was with the L.A. Angels, they were called at that time. And the guy running the tryout, I'd been invited to it, by the way. And he came up to me and he said, Randy, to play professional baseball league, any level of professional baseball, you have to have at least one of five talents. And he said, Randy, you don't have any of them. <laughs> but he said, <laughs> you know. kind of does that. <laughs> yeah, he said, you've got good hands. You're good at calling pitches. Pitch, the pitchers like you. But no, if I had that opportunity, I would have jumped at it, failed early, and I'd probably be a drunk on Skid Row right now. But anyway. I didn't get an offer. Well, Phil McCartney, kind of, you kind of teed him off here. I'm going to read what he asked. He said, when did you decide that you were a writer? You said early in life you wanted to be. Uh, were you a fishing guide who gradually felt the need to write, a writer who did a long stretch as a guide because that life fueled your writing, or a reader who ran out of good stories other people wrote? How did you go from fishing Wait a minute. Is this Phil McCartney from Kentucky? Yeah. He's well known. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he is around here and asked uh, about fly fishing. Yeah. Well, as I said, I grew up on farms, always wanted to write. To me, as a fishing guide, I was my own boss. I could get up early in the morning and write. And by golly, Roger, for a fishing guide to get up early in the morning and write, that's early. That's so early. I could stay up yeah. late and write. So it was a job in which I didn't have any impending or demanding boss or bosses. And it allowed me the freedom to work on my craft. At the same time, I was working on learning the craft of fishing, which is it's demanding. It truly is. On the water 300 days a year, on a, in the confines of a small vessel, I usually ran boats between 17 and 26 feet long. I had a bunch of boats. And learning how to interact with people, and in my view, a fishing guide, it's, you're in the entertainment business. People don't pay a lot of money to behave like jerks. And I've heard all these horror stories, oh, my clients are terrible, da-da-da-da-da. And, Roger, I tell you truly, when I hear a fishing guide complain about his or her clients, to me, that's a red flag. That guide is not doing his or her job. In all my charters, again, more than 3,000 charters, I had perhaps two clients who should not be allowed to reproduce. But otherwise, <laughs> I like my clients. I liked them very much. I learned far more from them than they did from me. Yeah, yeah. That, so you started writing, and I know where that's coming from, because many times in my life I was doing one thing and having to get up early to do something else because I wanted to make a change. Yeah. And you just have to kind of muscle up and do it if you want it that badly. So uh, good for you. It paid off, didn't it? Many books later, it seems you've been quite successful. Why did you uh, stop guiding? Just uh the grind of it all, or did the writing take off, and that was a better place to make a living? Nope. I had a wonderful opportunity. My guess is your listeners have been through something like this. At my Tarpon Bay Marine on Sandville Island, Florida, 
out of the blue, the federal government came to us at Tarpon Bay and said, we're closing down Tarpon Bay to powerboat traffic. They gave us two months' notice. That was in 1998, I think. And I was out of a job, Roger. I had no choice. I'm not qualified to do anything but run big boats and a few other things, but didn't go to college. So I thought, by golly, I had two young sons. thought, I'm going to write a book, and this needs to be pretty darn good, needs to sell. And so what a wonderful opportunity for me. To have no options as a writer, it may seem horrific, or, and it was spooky, but what an opportunity. I had no choice but to write a good book, and I did. And that, that started it all. You never looked back then. No more guiding. I assume you still... Uh, I guided, that was 1998. I guided probably for another three years off a trailer my boat, which is just a lot of work, as those of you who trailer boats know. But my first novel, under my own name, Sandoval Flats, it got, it got incredible reviews. Didn't sell much, but got great reviews. And then publishers started signing me to lengthy contracts. Did I look back? No, I'm, I miss guiding. I miss my clients. I do not miss getting up before sunrise and catching bait in the wind. That I don't miss. But no, the books have done great, and I've been very blessed. Yeah, cool, cool. John uh, Benish, and he got, splits his time in Miami and, or Michigan and Florida. He asks, where do you prefer to fish now, and what do you like to go after? I mean, just for fun. Well, I live in Sanibel. I have another house on Pine Island right across the bay. Pine Island is an island that's 17 miles long, north to southeast of Sanibel. I have a great old house there up on an Indian mound. And I like shallow water fishing. I, I like seeing the fish, and I like spotting fish. I love that rare intersection when one casts a fly. In my case, rarely makes a good cast, but when you make a good cast, and you see that fish light up, you see that fish turn, you see that fish stalk your fly. So my favorite place to fish would be this area, west coast of Florida, southwest coast. Right there. Tarpon, snook. Tarpon, snook. Redfish. Sea trout, weak fish, of course, and ladyfish. Big sharks, man. We got some big sharks there. I probably shouldn't say that. But boy, we do. Yeah, yeah, cool. What kind of sharks? Well, we've got some big bull sharks here, Roger. I used to do a lot of open water swimming, and I'd worry about them for about the first quarter mile, and after that, i just worry about surviving if I did a long swim. But, yeah, in fact, I held the IGFA world record on Jack Creval on fly rod, four-pound tippet, for quite a few years. Still got the diploma frames in unusual area. Nice. Jim in Ohio asks, what's your favorite way to regenerate and get away? And he says, by the way, I saw you unobtrusively at your restaurant last summer or some guy that does a good job looking just like you. <laughs> well, God help that guy, whoever he is. Was I with a beautiful, with a beautiful blonde? I don't know. Jim, was he? <laughs> you can write in and tell him. He's well, not on the uh, line. Yeah. My wife, Wendy Webb. W-E-B is in Bravo, B is in Bravo. She's a terrific singer-songwriter, and she's beautiful. In terms of, what, regenerating, I live on Sanibel, Jim. Every day I'm regenerated. I don't, I don't need to go anywhere. Ah, good. We get some questions in on the Internet here that you don't see in front of you here, Randy. But uh, Treg, yeah, Treg in Moscow, Idaho says, who do you like to read for, for fishing fiction? He says, I'm anxious to read one of your books. Craig from Idaho? I love Craig. Idaho. Sun Valley. Craig. I love Idaho. Craig's from Moscow. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. I fished out there. I didn't fish very well. Boy, that is an articulate 
type of fishing. It's far more complicated than saltwater fishing, in my opinion. And what was the question? I'm sorry. He says, who do you like to read for fishing fiction? I think Tom McQueen is about as good as they get. I think Thomas McQueen is about as good as they get. Jim Harrison was very good. My great friend, Peter Matheson, absolutely brilliant writer. But I read very little fiction because fiction is what I do. But I highly admire the skills of those writers I mentioned. Yeah, yeah, good. What are some of the skills you've gained through guiding and fly fishing that have helped you as a writer? That's an unusual question. It's a good question. To be frank, when one tells stories on a boat, confined circumstances, one, if one pays attention, learns how to edit your stories, get to the point of the story, get to the punchline, get to the ending. When you see people kind of roll their eyes, they're getting bored, by golly, that's a red flag. And that's something I learned as a fishing guy. Be concise. Edit your stories. We've, I suspect we've all heard people tell jokes. Oh, you're going to love this joke. And it goes on and on. And by golly, you want to shoot them in the butt with a BB gun. Just please stop. And then they get to the punchline. And they're expecting a big payoff. Well, that's bad storytelling. It's bad writing. So I think I learned that lesson. Yeah, yeah. It seems that you would also persistence in just grinding it out because as a guide, I've never been a guide, but I appreciate what they do on the water every day. And it's like you said earlier, it's not easy. And writing takes no, determination not. and diligence to get that done as well. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of crossover there. Do you consider yourself a better fly fisher or a better writer? Well, that's interesting. Well, as a five-fisher person, I learned to cast left-handed and right-handed because most of my clients are right-handed, and I can only write right-handed, <laughs> but I hope I'm a better <laughs> writer. And uh, I do love casting. I do enjoy casting, and got a couple of torn rotator cuffs now, but I think when I go out and I do fish, I fly cast left-handed, double haul, because I don't overpower the rod left-handed. I don't do that. I don't make that mistake. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It reminds me of Charlie Craven, who's one of the best fly tires I know here in Colorado, is right-handed, but he learned to tie his flies left-handed. <laughs> so, so he's he always ties flies left-handed? Yeah, but That's he's right-handed. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, right-hander casting left's unusual, too. So you guys are in the same boat here. But yeah, and anyway, yeah, it's kind of funny to watch his videos, but he thinks it's actually a better way to tie, even if you're right-handed, is what he says. But send me an email with his name. I need to look him up, because that's an interesting transition from the left brain to the right brain. That's I find that interesting, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I will do that. I'll send you his website and his contact information. He's pretty well known in the fly fishing world out here in the West, especially freshwater. Let's take a quick break here, Randy. We'll come back. We'll talk some more. Just hang tight. We'll be back in about 30 seconds. I'm here. There are not many places in the world where you can fly fish for permit, tarpon, bonefish, and snook all within a few miles of each other, but you can in Belize. When you fish with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing, you're on a private island and only minutes away from some of the finest fly fishing in Belize. You'll start out from Placencia and take just a 30-minute boat ride to your lodging on the island. And once you're there, you'll be fishing lagoons full of tarpon and targeting permit on the flats of Permit Alley. Bonefish and snook are ready for your cast as well. Charlie Leslie, with over 50 years of experience in the waters of Belize, his son Marlon Leslie, and their other hand-picked guides know the local waters like no others. Book your next Belize adventure now with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing. Visit charlielesleyflyfishing.com or call 303-430-4634. Again, that's charlielesleyflyfishing.com 
or call 303-430-4634. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Randy White about his writing, his books, his fishing, and life in general. So if you want to ask Randy a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Fill out that form, ask your question, and we'll try to get it answered tonight on the show. Okay. Just off the, when you were guiding and writing, did you write from memory? Did you take notes? Did you do any recording while you were out? Or did you, just, did you reflect later on about your experiences? I would carry uh, small pockets of notebooks, the little kind of notebooks that people used to carry but no longer do. And I would make notes. And every trip I ever took, and I've traveled to about every bad place in the world you can imagine, I would keep a different notebook. And then I'd get home, and then I'd reinterpret the notes. And I found especially useful, for those of you who want to write, I would make diagrams. I would make drawings of various places I was at. Now I guess you could just take a photograph. But I don't think photographs anchor things in our minds, frankly, unlike actually drawing diagrams of places or buildings. I would do that. Yeah, they always say that when you write something down, that it, it cements that in your brain a lot better than just trying to remember it or recording it or that the hand motion that seems to do the trick. I read three of your books that were your tales of travel and so forth, you know, because yeah. you just mentioned around the world, an American traveler, bait, fish, bait fishing in the rainforest, the sharks of Lake Nicaragua. Bat fishing, yeah. Bat fishing, yes. Yeah. yeah. When did these happen? Did these happen before the Doc Ford or during or when in the chronology of your writing did those happen? Actually, before and during. I had a gigantic break as a writer. In 1987, Rolling Stone magazine founded a magazine called Outside Magazine. Still, I think, in my opinion, the best outdoor adventure magazine going. And in 1987, I was lucky enough to publish a story in the first year of the issue of Outside. And then the editor, Terry McDonald, great guy, great grumpy guy, he would call me and say, hey, you haven't written anything for the mag, the book they called it. And then they named me the monthly columnist of Outside. And I did that for almost 10 years. God, what a great break that was. So I went all over the world traveling to various places, and I would always carry a fly rod, pack rod, because I learned early on that no matter where I went, whether particularly if there was a revolution going on or some far-flung place, if you carry a fly rod, people justly assume you're just a dope. You're just an idiot, and you're harmless. And they would talk to me, and I always carried a fly rod when I traveled. I'm looking. I'm sorry. I'm pausing because I'm looking at some questions coming in here. I just sent you a link, actually. What modern times? I sent you to a link. You mentioned the gentleman from Idaho, and you mentioned Colorado. I wrote a story. I came up with this idea. Gore Creek Fly Fishing Outfitters in Vail, Colorado. I came up with this idea, which which they fell for. Let's hold the World Championship Fly Casting. Let's hold the the, the World Championship Fly Casting thing of the world in Vail. And we did. And I went there, and I competed. So I just sent you a link to that. It was kind of fun. Yeah, I think. What's that? Wasn't that a story in one of those three books we just talked about, as I remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I finished yeah. second. Finished second, yeah. One really that's, nice reel. It was good. <laughs> that's pretty good for a guy who says he doesn't cast very well. You must do pretty good with that. Well, um, I need to be honest here. I use a weight forward leaded line. 
<laughs> he played <laughs> nine holes of golf in a fly rod. And I cheated. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to read this out as I go here because it's kind of hard for us. I'll just okay. read it out loud. This okay. is from Jim Buddy in Nebraska. He says, so how do you approach writing? Two friends, both quite successful, have different approach to the process. The historian gets you, makes you coffee, and then sits down at his desk and must write at least 500 words each day. The poet, like the historian, starts the day with coffee but focuses on his writing, en- write, on his writing energy on time must write for some predetermined period of day, regardless of the word count. And you? He wants to know how you write. Did I you like catch both all that? At least yeah. Yeah. I did. Uh, I like both approaches. At least they're disciplined. When people ask me, and the question is implied, what's the secret to writing successfully? Whatever successfully means, by the way, it is to be disciplined. If there is a secret, you go into a room alone. And you close the door and you turn off the doggone internet and your phone and you leave behind the people you care about most and you do your work without excuse seven days a week. There are no easy answers. All the words are in the dictionary, by the way, but I like both approaches. Whatever works for someone I'm all for. Do you write every day? With rare exception, seven days a week. Yes, I do. Really? No yeah. matter where I am, no matter where I am, airplanes, traveling, with rare exception, seven days a week. And I'm always on deadline for a book, and I have learned this. And this is advice to those of you who want to write. It's this. If you want to write, again, go into the room, close the door, work on your story seven days a week for at least 21 days in a row, at least an hour or 500 words, whatever technique you come up with. And if you do that, something magical will happen. The characters will take on their own lives. The story will take on its own life. And when that happens, do not let go. Don't stop. Good advice. Good advice. Do you, Phil McCartney, the famous guy in uh, Kentucky we were talking about earlier. <laughs> he Who wrote is he, by the way? He, Come on. Who he, is this he, guy? I think he's listened to every show I've ever done since I started over 20, 17 years ago. And he always oh writes God. in Good great year. questions and he's just a, a loyal listener. So like he is famous in my mind, <laughs> but do you want to know if you have read writer's block? Well, I've got a standard answer to that. It's flippant and I don't care. Writer's block is for people who can afford it. It's an excuse. It's so, and we are, I can only speak for myself, Roger, I am invidious when it comes up to making excuses for not working. Oh, my golly, well, these pencils need sharpening. Huh, my truck needs clean. Writer's block. Yeah, I've got writer's block. Well, you know, check the mail, check your bills, and I think I'll just be nice. Yeah, it's, I get in some of those those frames of mind at times, too, where I find so many other things to do before I do what I need to be doing. But then once I start yeah. to do what I need to be doing, everything's fine again. Yeah. You also, so. I mean, ha- having written so many books, it seems like it's very, it's very comfortable and natural for you, especially riding on the road, on planes and so forth. I'm not saying it's easy, but I think it sounds yeah. like it's natural for you. Do you feel that way? It is not natural whatsoever. Oh, really? Every day, is pushing this, every day it's pushing the boulder up the mountain. It's never gotten easier. And I, remi- I would remind you and Phil of this. 
if you have writer's block, you can still write 500 words and you can throw it away. No one's going to mm-hmm. make you publish it. The danger of writing a book is this. Someone might read it. <laughs> and that is terrifying. <laughs> That's well, terrifying when you think about it. But yeah, uh, you can writer's block. It's, it's absolutely blown. Yeah, and you brought up a good point. I mean, uh, to become a writer, you have to write. It's to become a good flycaster, you have to cast. Become a good golfer, you have to golf, right? Yeah, neither do I. But yeah, the point is you've got to practice what you want to get better at or or to to continue doing, especially if you're making money at it. So who is Doc Ford? Tell us who Doc Ford is. Well, as we've covered already, I was a fishing guide for many years. I have no expertise, essentially nothing whatsoever. And so when my marina, Tarpon Bay Marina in Sanibel, closed to fireboat traffic, as I said, I was out of a job. I thought I need to write a good book, so I need two characters. Okay, Doc Ford, marine biologist. I assure you I have no college degrees of any type whatsoever. But Doc, in my mind, would be purely pragmatic, purely linear, the, the clear thinker. Okay, so the other character. Okay, we need the, the counterpart of Doc Ford, Thompson, the unrepentant hipster, purely spiritual, purely intuitive. And I can only speak for myself uh, here, Roger, but those two cerebral components of me, the, the linear, the wistful spiritual, those two spiritual, those two cerebral components of me are always at odds, an ongoing argument. I would love to believe in ghosts. Well, I don't. I would love to believe in all sorts of things. But I thought if I had a character who was purely linear, Doc Ford, purely spiritual, Tomlinson, I could write just about anything I wanted from their viewpoint and get away with it. That ongoing war, the cerebral war. And that's how it started. Hmm. Interesting. So for those that haven't read one of your books, Doc Ford is the main character of the Doc Ford series. Of How many books are in that series now? 26, 26. Four about a fishing guy named Hannah Smith, Doc Ford and Hannah Smith, and now three young adult novels, Doc Ford, Hannah Smith, and three young adults. So my math's not the best, but that's more than 30, that much I know. Jerry Crow wrote in and asked, uh, it was Bill Lee the inspiration for Tomlinson? I don't know who Bill Lee is. <laughs> Do you know Jerry Crow? Well, no, but I'd like to. Well, I'm not so sure I would. Uh, Bill <laughs> Lee, um, for your listeners, look up Bill Spaceman Lee. In fact, you don't even have to type in L-E-E. Just write, look, look up Bill <laughs> Spaceman. Bill Spaceman. is <laughs> uh, a Hall of Fame pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, one of my closest friends. Bill is the third most quoted man in baseball history. That's true. They call him the spaceman, and Roger, I think it's probably not because he didn't go. He didn't go to the Air Force Academy. He well, I think Bill smoked dope, frankly. And uh, look up Bill Spaceman Lee. Bill says he is Tomlinson. I will not argue that question. Bill was on the cover, <laughs> very famous cover of Sports Illustrated many years back. And Bill is on the pitcher's mound at Fenway Park. Makes sense, Boston Red Sox, right? And Bill is wearing a spacesuit with oxygen tanks and a beanie cap with a propeller. Look it up. Sports Illustrated, Bill Spaceman Lee. And in the course <laughs> yeah. of that, it's absolutely true. Look it up now. 
In the course of that interview, Bill was asked, and I'm paraphrasing, do you think there's a drug problem in Major League Baseball? Bill, a brilliant man, again, one of my closest friends, pause thoughtfully. He said, a drug problem in Major League Baseball. No, it's great. I can get anything I want. <laughs> Bill said that. And Bill got into a lot of trouble <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. Yeah. So Bill got in a lot of trouble. Keep Tomlinson, this ancillary, the secondary character in the Doc Ford novels in mind. And some weeks or months later, Bill was re-interviewed about his controversial remark, I can get any drug I want in Major League Baseball. And Bill was asked, do you think drug testing should now be mandatory in Major League Baseball? Again, the thoughtful pause from Bill. Mandatory drug testing. I've tested almost every drug there is. And by <laughs> golly, they shouldn't make you do it. No, no one should make you do it. <laughs> God. He is brilliant, isn't he? <laughs> he is. He is. Oh, he's Jeez, that's funny. That's funny. Oh, boy. He's, uh, he's, he's here now. I'm trying to dodge him, but he's in Sandoval now. I'm trying to stay away from him. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> okay. All right. Fred in Denver, he says he's curious about your knowledge of the intelligence community. Can you tell us about that? I think he's referring to your in your books? Yeah, I know. Well, Sandoval Island, by golly, look it up and look up. There are all kinds of people here, and I've traveled all over. And I do tell people when they ask, "Do you did you ever work for some government agency? And I tell them, honestly, when those agencies start hiring people like me, we're all in trouble. But I think that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. How has or has Doc Ford evolved over the years? Well, the characters have evolved. Doc Ford, Marion Ford, and Tomlinson. Doc Ford has become slightly more intuitive, slightly more of appreciative of Tomlinson's gifts. Tomlinson has become slightly more accepting of Doc Ford's linear behavior. It's gradual. It's Again, it's, I see it as a war in the, our cerebral various halves of our brains. It's uh, linear versus the spiritual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell you what, we're going to take a quick break here, Randy. We'll be right back and we'll dig into some more about your writing and your life and so forth. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Yeah. Enrico Puglisi flies pride themselves with creating unique and one-of-kind flies and tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable synthetic and natural materials to create flies that catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or would like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Randy White, fishing about writing, about life. So uh, glad to have you with us, and we'll dig in here more with Randy. Do your readers tend to be people interested in fishing, or are you able to reach other types of readers? If so, who does your writing attract? Well, an eclectic group of people. It's, I've been very blessed. They're not The books are not about fishing, although fishing often plays a role. People of all ages all over the country, or the world, in fact. One of the most heartening things to me is I receive 
emails from people who share that the Doc Ford novels helped them get through a very tough time in their lives, health-wise, marital-wise, emotionally. It's very heartening. There is a kindred aspect to people who like my books, and I wish I could get to know those people better, but the world being what it is, I just, I can't. But, but no, I think all ages and all, all over the country, various places. Okay, okay. Is there it, it be mostly, actually, mostly women, actually. It's, the demographic, oh. it's 60% women, 40% men. Wow. I don't know what that means, if anything, but so, I don't know. I don't pay attention, frankly, Jerry. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is interesting, though. I'm about, like I said, I read those three short story books, but I'm just halfway through your first book. And there, for me, there's a connection there just because of the, the fishing aspect of the docks, the marinas, the people around there. It's, it is. It, yeah, it makes me feel right at home. But, but anyway. But we are a tribe. We are a tribe, aren't we? Fishing yeah. People, people yeah. who love yeah. the water, fresh water, salt water, really doesn't matter. The best folks I know, they don't have the big ego, if you do. But we are a kindred, tribal kind of people. We we have that link, that mysterious, nerdy, frankly nerdy link, the kind of obsession, a love, appreciation for, for being on the water, first light, the various colors and textures of light, the odors, fresh water, very different than salt water. And we have that link. Yeah, yeah. I think so. There's just something about it. And and you had talked earlier about guides being entertainers and storytellers. And, yeah. and I some of the the best guides I've ever fished with are the best storytellers I've ever been with, too. And there's something about that to be able to go out on a boat every day and with new clients and to be able to keep them entertained, even if the fishing is bad and yeah i mean some days you just can't do anything it's not and and there's i read an advertisement for charlie leslie who's a personal friend of mine and excellent guy down in belize earlier uh, in the show and i tell people go fishing with charlie even if you don't catch any fish the whole day you'll have a just blast with charlie being on the water just being on the water and him telling stories you'll be laughing the whole day long and what a great day that is he's out of belize yeah, he fishes out yeah. of Belize. I spent yeah. a lot of time in Belize yeah. uh, during the invasion of Argentina. K. Cocker, Placencia. I was with yeah. with a bunch of Gurkhas. I don't. Do you know who the Gurkhas are? Gurkhas, no. Well, you need to look it up. G H U R K A S. Gurkhas. Yeah, I spent a lot of time down with the Gurkhas during the invasion of Argentina. Anyway, but Belize, beautiful Placencia. Wonderful. Yeah, man. that's where he's at. Placencia. Yeah. Independent. Oh, yeah, Monkey River, Placentia. I know that area. Used to. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Monkey River, just down the coast there. Beautiful area. Is. So, is there more to come from Doc Ford? More novels for the future? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I've got a contract for three more Doc Ford novels. I've got a contract for three more Doc Ford young adult novels, working every day on those. And interesting characters. I just follow the characters and. Uh, to me, the setting is, if not the most important, close to the most important third character, the setting. And I've never written about any place where I had not spent a lot of time, be it uh, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Malaysia, Africa, Cuba, Central America, South America. The only exception would be, uh, in one book, I wrote about Disney World, and I've never been to Disney World. That's the only exception. So the setting is key. <laughs> 
You need you yeah. really need to know that because people will ferret you out if you don't know your setting, if you don't know your facts. I learned early on that if you make a factual error, be it fiction or nonfiction, you lose much of your credibility. So I'm very careful about um, the settings and the facts. How is it switching to these young adult novels? What kind of mindset change did you have to make to change your writing for young adults? Jerry, I didn't make any change whatsoever. I'm All not I Jerry. I'm Roger. Out... <laughs> oh, I'm Roger. I'm sorry. Roger, Roger. Sorry, Roger. Uh, all I did was take out the profanity and the sex. That's all I did, Roger. I took out the profanity and the sex. It's No, the young adult novels are books for adults without the other stuff. Interesting. Otherwise, no changes. That's interesting. Nope. Tell us about no. Hannah Smith. Hannah Smith is a uh, Florida fishing guide, a woman, based on an original Florida character. Hannah Smith, turn of the, in, in the late 1800s, fishing family, and again, historically a real person. Floridians called Hannah Big Six, because she was tall and she chopped wood for a living. Her sister, Sarah Smith, they called her the Ox Woman. This is all true, by the way. She was the first person, male, female, anybody, to ever drive an ox cart across the Florida Everglades. So real Florida characters, which I like, I love the history. And so the Hannah Smith character in my novels is based on the original Hannah Smith. In my fictional world, the original Hannah Smith, her family, named every daughter in each generation Hannah. So Hannah Smith is Hannah Smith number four. And she's a tough, smart, terrific flycaster. And she knows fish and she knows fishing. And she does not brook including Dot Four. I like Hannah a lot. Now, I haven't read those, Hannah, so is Hannah no Doc Ford? Is there any connection there in the books? In every in every biblical sense, yes, she does. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. We've got, this is, I'm just reading some questions coming in on the internet here. Tom Meyer sure. in um, Wisconsin wrote in, he says, have you ever guided any famous people or celebrities? Do you have any stories about them that you can share? Well, Tom in Wisconsin, the answer is yes, and the second answer is no. Yeah, <laughs> I'm taking out people and fishing guys, we don't go into that. But all nice people, I will say that. All very nice people. All very nice. Yeah. Oh, was I thinking of? The interviewed Norm Ziegler. Do you know Norm? He is a terrific guy. Absolutely has a brilliant uh, fly fishing shop on Sandoval. A very good guy, and he really knows what he's talking about. Yep, I know Norm. Yeah, Norm, I interviewed him because he wrote a book on a lot of famous people that are fly fishers and just right. about yep. their relationship to the sport and so forth. That might yep. be a good book for you to check out, Tom, in regards to some famous people that you might not think of as great fly fishers and very famous people. But yeah, so that was as an interesting read, an interesting interview there. Yeah, yeah. Phil McCartney wrote in here again. He said, uh, thanks for Randy's comment. Bill, I got it. <laughs> Thanks for Randy's comment about the need to work without excuse. Those of us who teach mathematics strive to convince our students that consistent hard work matters. And I think that's important in, uh, in just, a, in just about everything in life. Yeah. How does Hannah's character differ from Doc Ford? Well, Hannah Smith, the fishing guide, she's religious, Christian, devoted to her faith, which brings into all sorts of conflicts. <laughs> 
Dot Ford being who Dot Ford is. Interesting woman. You'd have to read the books, but I like the... Okay. Uh, and she's funny. She's funny. Hannah is very funny in a very Southern way. My, my maternal family is all from Richmond County, North Carolina, Rockingham and Hamilton, North Carolina. And my mother, my aunts or aunts, however you say that, to sit on the porch with them at night, Roger, drinking sweet tea and listening to them tell stories. They were and are the smartest funniest people I've ever met in my life. I think I only had one aunt or aunt graduate from high school. But they, all those Southern women, they read books. And they are brilliant. They're self-educated. And, Roger, I would laugh until I had to go outside and pee. They were so funny. So for me, through Hannah Smith, to have the opportunity to bring back that brilliant female southern voice is very powerful interesting where the roots of that come from now are you still are you just primarily writing novels or are you also doing any work for outside still do you write articles other forms of writing other than novels well i'm still an editor at large for outside a wonderful magazine with magazines and newspapers they've taken a big fall during this internet era right right uh, so I stay involved in a small way, but I'm pretty busy writing books. And that's that's what I do. Okay, okay. Does writing energize you or does it exhaust you? Well, golly, that's a tough one. Both. It's wonderful to have written and to meet people who've read your books. But again, the process has never gotten easier for me. And I don't know, it's just what I do, man. It's what I mm -hmm. do. Okay. Okay, let's take another quick break here, and when we come back, we'll, we'll finish up talking with Randy White about writing and fishing and life in general. So hang tight, everybody. I'll be back shortly. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like the Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish in their habitats, like the peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Randy White about fishing and writing and life in general. And Randy, I feel sorry for you. I know Randy's been ill. That's why we had to cancel last week, and he's still battling through it but doing a good job. Are you going to make it? I'm doing great, pal. I'm doing great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and thanks for having me on. Great show. Uh, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. So just hoping you feel better. I know it's uh, it's tough. I've hosted these shows when I've been actually muting about every other sentence because I was coughing or blowing my nose. Yeah, I wish I had the cough. I wish I had the cough button here. I didn't realize I was still on, but I'm yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Good. So a couple other questions. What are some common traps that you can 
talk about for aspiring writers other than not writing regularly as we've already talked about any other traps yeah here is a common one randy i sent this off to my niece nephew uncle aunt wife sister daughter and by golly they love it don't do it don't do it if you're looking for accolades writing is not the place to go if you need encouragement it comes from yourself not from outside don't send something you've written to somebody because I know me, I'm going to lie. Well, actually, I wouldn't lie. I would defer. But do not pay any attention whatsoever to what your friends, family say about your writing. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. What matters is what you put down on paper in that room. What matters is you send it off and a publisher or a newspaper editor or somebody thinks, you know what, they've connected in some way. Now, see, that's valuable. Don't fall into that trap of sending it to a friend or a family member. Don't do it. Interesting. Yeah, good tip. Good tip. If you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? Well, it's simple. Learn how to type. I wish I'd learn how to type. Ah. Two-finger typist. Learn Ooh. how to type, learn how to spell. I've never learned how to do either one. But, yeah, learn how to type. So you do all your writing on the computer rather than longhand? I do now. I used to use an old Underwood stand-up typewriter. I got it sitting right here in my office, two-fingered, and that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those things, I've got my grandfather's typewriter here. And, my God, it must have been hard to type on that thing. Can you imagine writing a book on one of those things? I did it. I wrote probably ten books on that thing. Golly. Really? Yeah. No, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Here's the question. What does literary success look like to you? Have you arrived? Do you see a different <laughs> success in the future? Where? What is that? I don't know. It's hard to imagine me being more successful than I am, frankly. And that's, I said that honestly. Money, my golly, I've done better than I ever expected. And I think my books will last. I know they'll last. That's better than I ever expected. I'll tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, you've arrived. You've arrived, and that's an, and I can see that. No brag, just fact. How long were you a part-time writer before you came a full-time one? I know we talked about you well, during, losing that job. I mean, the, the, the fishing shutting down. Yeah. During my entire writing career, I was a part-time writer. I wrote thrillers under pen names, a bunch of those. Hmm. And they're all back in print, by the way. They're probably terrible books. I don't know. But I was writing all the time when I was writing. When you look, what about marketing? Do you are you involved in the marketing of your books at all, or are you are you totally reliant on your publishers? Totally reliant. My publishers, they prior to the plague coming around, two national book tours a year, travel all over the country, and sometimes four weeks, fifty some cities, and they set all that up. I've been very blessed in that way. Of course, for the restaurants, that's a Zach Forge restaurant, Sanibel, Captiva, Fort Myers Beach, St. Pete. Another, we're about to open another one in St. Pete, which is... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not an easy no, business either. <laughs> well, thank goodness I don't run it. My partners do. But, no, I'm been very lucky there. In fact, Doc Ford's was chosen by the Doc Ford's restaurant chain. Well, it's kind of the chain. was chosen by TripAdvisor. This was in a bunch of magazines as the number one restaurant in the United States of America. 
for families. That's a big deal. The number one restaurant in the United States, Doc Ford's. It was in Ford's magazine, so that's something. What's the inspiration for the menu? Well, it's based on Doc Ford and his travels, and I grew up in a southern family. My mother was an incredible cook, as are my aunts and nieces, and, and frankly, my uncles, too. And I started writing down recipes when I used to travel a lot over the world. And so it's kind of a Caribbean. We were the first rum bar in the United States of America. That's true. And I'm not a big fan of rum. In fact, I rarely drink. Just it's too time consuming. But yeah, it's based on Doc Ford. Okay. Where is your favorite place to write? Well, (laughs) it used to be anywhere I was, man. Um, now, for the first time in my life, we got a. My wife and I have a great house on Sanibel, and uh, for the first time, I've got an office, a little office. That's a good place. I like that. It's very curious, Roger. What constitutes a good place to write? And I would go to libraries, not great places. Sometimes a bar would be a good place. A certain corner booth would be a good place. It's very curious. I've never had the. Actually, I could in this house if I wanted to, where I had a great view of the water. I could do that. But it's just, it needs to be a private place that feels right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would imagine that being out and about is a good place to look and develop characters for your books. I mean, you mentioned in a bar, just taking notes or something on people you see, what they look like, those kind of things. Do you get characters from being out and about? Well, I think I know too many attorneys to answer that question, but of course you do. It's what we do. We assimilate. We pay attention, hopefully. What should this character look like? What does she or he, what are their characteristics? Yeah, we pay attention. I I would think so. I try to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How long does it take you to write a book? Well, for a number of years, I was writing two books a year, so it would be about six or seven months. And that's just too intense. I've stopped doing that. I write one book a year now. But I think to write successfully, whatever that means again, we have to be relentless. Whether we produce one really good short story over two years or two good books over one year, it doesn't really matter. It's up to the writer. What about your covers? Do you find that your book cover designs are important? to the sale of your books or do you have anything to do with that or is that all the publisher? No, I have first uh, denial or I can refute and I have a a number of times and uh, I like taking photographs. Not particularly good photographer, but I do like it. And so New York will come up with something and I will say, well, there's, we don't catch many sailfish off Sanibel. So you probably take out the swordfish, the sailfish. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I know they're important, but I also know that the people in New York are, are probably good at what they do, I would think. They wouldn't be there. So right. I often defer to them. But if I don't like something, I tell them, and that's, I get a change. Did, do you have any of your photographs been used for covers on your book? Quite a few, yeah. On the oh, yeah? Board now, particularly the paperback. Yeah, particularly the paperback. Well, hardbacks, too. Yeah, oh, I like okay. low light. I've got a well, anyway. I like shooting low light and the movie mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, quite a few. Begin the dawn and the dusk in Colorado. We call one of the finest times is Alpen Glow, 
when the aspen, when you get this glow just before sunset, that is is just wonderful. And I've seen that on the water too in the south. Alpen so glow. yeah, Alpen we call glow. it Alpen glow. Yeah. Where do you see your writing going from here? Continuing your the journey you're on, or do you do you, do you see any deviation from that at all? Got the formula? Just work it. Well, as an old captain, deviation variation means something to me. Nonfiction. I've got. I'm supposed to write a book about my life, which is. I wouldn't find it particularly interesting, but I will. And I've certainly met a lot of unusual people. You mentioned Colorado. I was in Aspen, Colorado, when Hunter S. Thompson ran for sheriff. We became buddies, and boy, he was a character. Brilliant writer and a wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. Brilliant. Um, so I spent some time in Colorado. like it there. I spent a lot of time in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. I taught uh, a writing class at Colorado College, Colorado oh. Springs. I had a lot of friends at Cheyenne Mountain, and I like Colorado. Yeah, yeah, so do I. I'm sitting up here at 8,800 feet right now, uh, a little higher than you are at sea level, but love it up here, yeah. Where, where are you in Colorado? Where's that? I spent half my time in Boulder and then half my time in Bailey, which is about an hour and 15 minutes southwest of Denver up in the mountains. So and that's where I'm where sitting right now. Yeah, yeah. On the way my to, my uh, bookstore, I've done a lot of, I did a lot of signings in Boulder. Oh, yeah. Uh, tattered Cover. Tattered Cover, yep. Denver. Yep. Three of them, yep. two or three of them did, did all Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good bookstores. Jeff Vermillion in Bozeman, Montana wrote in. He says, I want to be a writer, fishing guide, and someone who has written fishing, not as a fishing guide, and someone who has written a fiction novel. I'm finding the experience of getting my work really reviewed professionally almost impossible. Would love to hear about your experience getting your first novel published. Was there a story yeah. there? Jeff, I'm telling you what, to, to all of you folks, the world has so changed in terms of writing and publishing. It's I rode the perfect wave with outside Rolling Stone. My advice is be relentless. Absolutely be relentless. If you have something to say, and if you're articulate, and you learn your craft, the rhythms of sentences are very important. Read Thomas McLean. Read Edward Abbey, if you're an mm, advocate. Mm-hmm. Read Jim Harrison. Read Peter Matheson. Read Joseph Conrad. If you want a sense of sentence, Faulkner. The sense of sentence is so rare in writing, and I seldom, if ever, see it on the Internet anymore. My fear is people simply dictate what they're trying to write into a phone, which is tragic. It's tragic, and it's a great disservice to the writer and to the reader. So my advice is learn your craft, produce something that people connect with. If you do that, you're a writer. With that said, I think we'll wind this up. I think that's a great way to end the evening here. Randy, if you can just stick with me a few more minutes. We're going to give away your book, sure. and I'm going to ask a question, and I want to make sure that we get the right answer. And we've got a few sure. things to tie up here at the end and a few things to give away. So if you can hang tight, we'll be done in just a couple of minutes. We'll cut a little short tonight because I know you're not feeling well, and I appreciate you muscling through this thing. Well, let's, that's right. We're going to give away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Time Journal. And, of course, we're going to give away one of Randy's books, courtesy of Lions Press. So check out lionspress.com, and you'll see some of the books that they have to offer there. Randy's also published under other – the Doc Ford series is – who's the publisher on that, Randy? 
Putnam's, Putnam's and Berkeley. Okay, okay. So yeah, they're a different publisher. But anyway, we'll be giving away one of those books here shortly. Bristol Bay is the lifeblood of Alaska, home to the world's largest wild sockeye salmon run. The bay provides tens of thousands of Alaskan jobs and feeds Americans from coast to coast. Its pristine waters have sustained the indigenous peoples of the region for millennia, and each year tens of thousands of anglers and visitors from around the world are drawn to this extraordinary beauty and abundance. The fly community has been at the vanguard of this battle to protect Bristol Bay for many years. A resolution may be within our reach, but we need everyone to keep engaged. Go to stoppebblemindnow.org, stoppebblemindnow.org, and give them your support. Again, it's stoppebblemindnow.org. Just a reminder to everyone, before you leave the website today, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section there tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on this link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Now it's time to give away some of our prizes. The winners for our drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show. So you don't miss out on some of these great prizes we, we give out. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So the first thing we're giving away is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. Flyfishersinternational.org, a great organization to support. Database, let me hit the magic button here. It looks like Bill Bent in Arkansas. Bill Bent in Arkansas, you just got yourself a membership to Fly Fishers International. Congrats on that. And now we'll give away a one-year membership uh, or subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, which you can learn more about at amalobooks.com. Again, a great publisher of fly fishing books uh, and periodicals. And we have Georgiana De La Torre in California. So, Georgiana, got yourself a nice uh, one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And now we'll give away a copy of Randy's book. And I've got three of them here. His books, like we said, The Sharks of Lake Nicaragua and Bat Fishing in the Rainforest and American Travel. So you get to pick one of those. And let me clear my queue here before I ask the question. Okay, here we go. We talked about one of Randy's friends. His name was Bill Lee. What's his middle name? <laughs> May not be his real middle name, but what was his middle name when Randy described him? I know that question. <laughs> you're not yet. I know you know it. That's what I had one of my guests to answer it one time ago. No, you're not supposed to answer. Let me see if we get. Okay, we've got one. Uh, and Treg Owen in Moscow, I know he's a long-time listener as well. He says Spaceman. Did he get that right? Close enough for me. <laughs> yeah, close enough. All righty. Well, Treg, you got yourself uh, a copy of one of Randy's books. You said you wanted to read one, so you're going to get one to read. And uh, be sure to send me your address in the box. You've been through that routine before. Put it in, and we'll get you out a book. Randy, I, I really appreciate you being on tonight. I know it wasn't easy for you, but pleasure to talk it was great. with you. I enjoyed it, Roger. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and so and I learned called Jerry about... earlier, but I just got a fashion <laughs> old buddy of mine. A picture named Jerry, uh, and I so I Oh, no name, problem. So. No problem. But uh, thanks for being with us tonight. And get better, buddy. And maybe we'll see you sometime when I'm down in that area. So take care. And uh, thanks for spending time with us tonight. Good night, guys. Hopefully, all of you have found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link in the top line menu. In the archive, you'll find all of our past shows, over 345 shows now. 
which you can search by keyword, a keyword phrase like trout, tarpon, Madison River, so forth. Go up there, poke around and look, and I'm sure you'll discover a lot of great interviews like the one we did tonight in our archive. Our next broadcast will be on December 1st, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and that show will interview Chris Wells, and our topic for the show will be the Williams Fork River, more than a buggy place. Chris has been a full-time professional guide for more than 20 years. One of his favorite rivers to guide is the Williams Fork in central Colorado, which he calls one of the buggiest places he knows. Yellow sallies, caddis, midges, betis, trichos, stoneflies, and red quills are more than abundant, and the trout feed like crazy on them. Join us to learn about the Williams Fork River, why it's so special for Chris, and how to fish it for the best results. And be sure to add this upcoming show to your calendar. Just click on Add to Calendar button below Chris's picture on our homepage, and you'll be all set to be at that live show. We'd also like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Lee's Ferry Anglers, Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing, and Enrico Puglisi Flies for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com. Make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.